scripture reading tonight comes from the 85th Psalm, verses 6 through 9. Will you not receive, uh, revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the, the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants. But let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near uh, those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our lands. Good evening. Rabbi Zacharias related a, a story. Uh, one time he was traveling in the Middle East. Um, his wife and his two-year-old daughter were with him. They went into a very uh, secure building for routine but rigorous questioning. The room was full of soldiers um, care, uh, holding machine guns. And there was a very tense feeling in the room, a lot of unease. Everyone was just standing in line, dutifully just waiting for their turn to go through it. They'd all been warned it would be an emotionally taxing day. Rabbi said this, When it was our turn to be interrogated, the complete silence in the room was suddenly broken by the squeaky voice of my little daughter, Sarah, asking the armed soldier, Excuse me, do you have any bubble gum? He said that innocent glee transformed that atmosphere in the entire room. Where before the weapons of war had held everyone at bay, people broke into smiles and everyone was focusing their attention on the soldier, knowing that his heart had been irresistibly touched. The soldier paused for a moment and then carefully handed his machine gun to a colleague, came over to where we were, picked up little Sarah, looked at her endearingly, and walked out into another room. Rabbi said a few minutes later he returned holding Sarah in one arm and a tray with three glasses of lemonade in the other, one for each member of the family. He went on to say, our interrogation was short. In fact, the young soldier brought his jeep to the door and drove us to the taxi stand and sending us on our way to Jericho. And then he wrote this, the wonder-filled face of a two-year-old girl changed the feel of an entire room from fear to fondness. The very strength of the child's influence was only buttressed by the fact that she was not even aware of the power she wielded or what she had accomplished. You know, there's something irresistible about the charm of a little child. Isn't that true? And it is amazing the power that they have. Psalm 8-2 says, From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And we know this is true. A baby can melt the heart of a cynic, can open the pocketbook of a miser, can bring a smile to the oppressed, can give hope to despairing, and turn an irrespectable person into an obnoxious grandparent. Happens all the time. Isaiah said, one day a child will lead them. G.K. Chesterton once proclaimed that he learned more about life by observing children in the nursery than he ever learned by reading the philosophers. And Jesus said that if we are to be his followers, we are to become childlike. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record this incident. But I put it on the screen, Luke 18, if you want to follow along, verses 15 through 17. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. William Barclay said that was common for this time, for people to bring their babies to a rabbi, and the rabbi would, would bless them. But Luke says when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. It was a tense time. They were headed to Jerusalem. We talked about that a little bit this morning. It was Jesus, it is in his last hours, his last days. 
The time was stressful. There's a lot on their mind. He had told his disciples he was going to die. One author said it like this. It's kind of like a, a mother telling her young children, uh, be nice to dad. He's going through a hard time at work. Knowing that the stress at work had been brought home. Verse 16, But Jesus called the children to him, said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. We remember Mark's gospel because he mentions that Jesus hugged them. He took them into his arms. And we love that picture, don't we? Of Jesus hugging the children. Verse 17, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The, the Christian life is, is often a paradox, or really a series of paradoxes. We die to live. We give to receive. We lose life to gain life. We humble ourselves to be exalted. We surrender to win. We're willing to be last to be first. And here Jesus said, we need to become like a child if we are to mature. So what I want to do in our lesson is look at three characteristics of how we need to emulate children, to be childlike so that we can grow. There, there are many, but I want to just uh, uh, center in on three. The first is childlike purity. Childlike purity. A young child is so innocent about evil. You look at a little baby sleeping like a six-month-old infant, and you look at that baby and you think, you know, they are so free from deceit, uh, lust, uh, racism, hate. I mean, they are just the epitome of, of pure. So you, you see that and you remember Jesus' words. And you also understand why even the vilest criminals have no respect for those who exploit and, 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 and uh, take advantage of innocent children. Now, we know that innocent doesn't last long. Uh, it's only a matter of time until that ego starts popping out. And those children can lie like the rest of us. They can be sneaky. They can be deceitful. I read about one grandchild who prayed, Dear God, please help Grandma and Grandpa to have a good time even when I'm not there. That ego just pops in there, doesn't it? doesn't take long. That sin nature... But a few short years, for a while, they're innocent. They're pure. The way Jesus is talking about here. Now, adult Christians are to emulate that type of childlike purity. But how do we do that? Because none of us are pure or innocent. Paul wrote in Romans 3.23, All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One author said this, If our sins were tattooed on our bodies... Think about that. If our sins were tattooed on our bodies, we'd be wearing long-sleeved turtlenecks, wide-brimmed hats, and even gloves all the time. But the marvelous promise of God is we can become innocent. We can become childlike in our following Him. Isaiah 1.18 says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. When you place your trust in Jesus Christ, when you are born of the Spirit and also of water, you are washed clean you are made pure. In the Father's eyes, no matter how evil or ugly or jaded your past, you are like a, a newborn child who has never sinned. And that's the most marvelous picture. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul wrote, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. But after we become Christian, we should develop this Christ-like innocence, this purity that he's talking about. I want to show you a verse in the Bible. Look at Romans 16.19, at least a part of the verse. 
Paul says, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Think about that. Be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. See, keep your distance from evil. And there's a part of us, I don't know if it's something we learn in adolescence or it's just part of our, our, our nature that we like to get as close to sin as we can without getting burned. You know what I'm saying? You get as close to the edge and we kind of flirt with it. And Paul's saying just the opposite. Don't do that. He says, be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. We are to remain pure. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2.22, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So he uses that same wording. And if we want to have the innocence of a child, we don't see how close we can get to sin or how much we can just get right up next to it. We don't pretend to be more worldly wise than we really are. We take Paul's words to heart. And we're innocent about what is evil. But that's hard to do, isn't it? Because we live in a world, a society, a culture that makes fun of those who want to be pure. Of those who want to be upright. The world makes fun, especially of young people who've never had sex. Who've never had uh, tasted liquor. Who've never seen a pornographic movie. Never been high on marijuana. Never been to a casino. You've never done that? And we're made fun of because of that. And there's a temptation as a Christian to practice what you might call reverse hypocrisy. You know, hypocrisy we think of as pretending to be something you're not. uh, Maybe better than you really are. But then it can also work on the reverse side. Christians fearing ridicule will pretend to be worse than they really are. Somebody at school at work says a joke that's off color or distasteful. You don't even think it's funny, but you laugh just because it's awkward. And you don't want to draw that unnecessary rebuke or those cutting remarks that come from that. Or maybe a young girl will dress promiscuous even though she's not. Because that's kind of what's expected of her. Ephesians 4 encourages Christian people to live as children of light, have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. Verse 22 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on a new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're called to live innocent, pure lives. And look at James' words, James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Jesus said, I want you to be like a child. Childlike in your faith. Childlike in your purity. Well, here's characteristic number two. Childlike wonder. Think about that. Childlike wonder. I think we need to emulate that as well. Tennyson once told of going early one morning to uh, the bedroom of his young grandson and saw the child just in wonder of the sunbeam coming through the window, almost worshiping it. And it's so much fun, is it not, to, to watch a child experience something for the first time, to see their eyes light up, they're trying to figure out how it works. Or maybe they put their, their nose into the smell of a flower. You ever heard of a flower? It's been so long. Do those still exist? No, but to see a child experience something for the first time, we almost experience it too with them. And we take great delight in that. A mother just covers her face and says, peekaboo. And the child is just transformed. 
Just totally delighted with the simplest game. Maybe given a toy that doesn't require a magnet, there's no moving part, and that child can be totally delighted in that. One grandfather told this story. Sunday afternoon, they were going to church together, the family, and had some friends over. They'd gone to lunch, and he said, one time the conversation at lunch kind of hit a lull, so he said he made the mistake of asking his five-year-old grandson what his Sunday school lesson was about that morning. Well, the boy just jumped in on the opportunity. So it was about Elijah, and it hadn't rained for a long time, so Elijah prayed that it would rain, and Elijah said to his servant, you go out and look at the sky. And the servant went out looked at the sky, and he came back out and said, there are no clouds. So Elijah said a second time, go out and look at the sky. And the servant went out looked at the sky, and he came back and said, there's no clouds. So Elijah said a third time, you go out and look at the sky. And the servant went out, and he looked, and he came back, and he said, there's... And the grandfather says, I know where this story's going. It takes seven times. He's going to tell the whole story. And sure enough, the little boy kept going. Elijah said this fourth time. He said, Pops, you listening to me? Fifth time, sixth time. Finally, he says, the seventh time. Pop, guess what? He said, I know. He saw a cloud the size of a hand. He said, that's right. He said, and then it started to rain, and they started running for shelter. And, 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 and he, the grandfather was so excited just watching this young child tell the story. Like it had never been heard before. Somebody wrote this. I'm hereby officially tendering my resignation as an adult. I've decided I would like to accept the responsibility of an eight-year-old again. I want to go to McDonald's and think it's a four-star restaurant. I want to sail sticks across a fresh mud puddle and think M&Ms are better than money because you can eat them. I want, I want to lie under a big oak tree and run a lemonade stand with my friends on a hot summer day. I want, I want to return to a time when life was simple. I want to think the world is fair, that everyone is honest and good. I want to believe that anything is possible. I want to be oblivious to the complexities of life and be overly excited about the little things again. I want to believe in the power of smiles and hugs and a kind word. I want to make angels in the snow. So here's my checkbook and my car keys, my credit card bills, and my 401k statements. I'm officially resigning from adulthood. And if you want to discuss this further, you'll have to catch me first because tag, you're it. Don't you love it? You know, when a child, just like a child, we need that, that wonder in our lives. We think about those words, and we know that's unrealistic, and yet there's a part of us that we want to be like that, don't we? And we miss those times. Now, it's normal that we grow older, we grow wider. We don't have to become cynical. But the world is harsh. And life is tough. It's not easy. And the harsh realities of pain and evil and disappointment and conflicts, it takes its toil, I mean, its toll on our spirit. And just, it drags us down. And, and we lose that childlike wonder. We could even get cynical at church. Of all places, even at church. And maybe we're even best at church. Here comes that deacon with that sickening bounce in his step again. Ranger's going five minutes without a joke. Look at your clock. Here it comes. How many elders does it take to make an announcement? There's another new song again. Is that cynic living you? You ever said those words or thought things like that? I think wonder is to a spiritual life what romance is to marriage. You've got to have more than romance for a marriage to, life, to last. You've got to have unconditional love and, and, and commitment. 
It's going to be purpose and, and dedication. But even with that, if you don't have romance and keep romance, it's just an obligation. It's just a requirement. You're just living together. But to have romance is what keeps it good. And the Christian life is so much more than wonder and excitement. We can go around with an artificial high just praising the Lord all the time and people think, you know, He's out of touch with reality or she doesn't really know what's going on in the world. But if we never get goosebumps, if we never shed a tear, if we're never just moved down deep in our core because what God has done for us, have we lost the sense of wonder? Have we become so burned by this world that sometimes whether we're singing a song or maybe it's a Scripture or maybe it's a moment of prayer and maybe you're in a crowd or maybe it's just you and God where you're just overwhelmed with wonder that God died for you. That He's washed you clean. That He's preparing a place for you. That He's coming back for you. Think about God with a sense of wonder. Have you lost that? Psalm 8, 3 and 4 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Remember this line? O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world thy hands have made, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. See, wonder is not just for children. It's not something that you have to grow out of. Even adults can experience wonder. Bass singer George Yunce of the Cathedral's Quartet he was getting near 70 when after a rousing gospel song, he said to the crowd, he said, if you've got joy like that in you and you don't let it out, it will spread your hips. <clears throat> there ought to be times, regardless of our age, when we are just captivated by wonder. And we may be in a crowd and nobody else gets it. We, may be, we don't do it for show. It may just be you and God that you are just amazed Romans 12.1 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Keep your spiritual fervor. Isn't that what we're talking about? Serving the Lord. So you come to church with childlike wonder, never losing a thrill, just even of worship, joining in a song, learning more about God's Word, watching somebody be baptized, and you remember even your own and in that moment of faith. You see lives change. See, we're privileged to live in the Bible Belt. We're privileged to be a part of the church. So many good things that are going on. Children are being taught. Young people are being trained to follow Jesus, to become leaders. More and more are going on short-term mission trips, stateside and even other countries. Think about the good things that are happening here that Mike talked about this morning, just trying to, to reach out into our community, to feed those who are hungry, to help those to, to pay the rent, to stay in their home, even taking care of our own members when they're going through hard times. Being Jesus to the good people who are now in assisted living or, or homebound. Packing boxes of supplies again and again for disaster relief. Putting coins in a box for orphans. Supporting those who don't have a family. Building bridges in Jesus' name at the landmark apartments. 
trying to let people know broadcasting Bible lessons on two networks. Good things are happening. Never lose a sense of wonder. Childlike purity. Childlike wonder. Well, here's one more. We need to emulate children with childlike faith. Childlike faith. A little child finds it so easy to believe in God. There's just innocent trusts. Their parents, somebody they love says it, and and they believe it. David Heller once did a doctoral thesis, Children and Religion. He collected a number of letters that children wrote to God. One child wrote, Dear God, my my grandma just died. Please take care of her for me. Her name is Grandma. Dear God, my dad thinks he's you. Straighten him out. Dear God, I learned in school that you can make butterflies out of caterpillars. I think that's cool. What can you do for my sister? She's ugly. A little boy named Elliot said, Dear God, I think about you sometimes, even when I'm not praying. Nora wrote, I don't ever feel alone, God, since I found out about you. A little boy named Eugene said, I don't think orange went with purple until I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday. That was cool. God is so real to a little child. Isn't that true? They believe. They have that childlike faith. They find it easy to trust in Him for the best. They don't doubt Him. God said it. They believe it. They don't doubt His Word. You read the story of Noah and the ark. Jonah and the fish. Moses parting the Red Sea. Jesus walking on water. They're in. They believe. They accept it. But something happens along the way. We grow up. We become cynical. We become skeptical of anything that's beyond our experience. We've not seen it. If we've not experienced it, we're not sure about it. In the words of Jesus, Luke 24, 25, How foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. But here's why. We look around and say, how can I be sure that all things are going to work together for good? It didn't work together for so good for, and we can call out a name or two and what they went through. How can I know God will provide for my every need? How can I know the Bible is true? There are some really brilliant people in this world who don't believe in God. How do I know the afterlife is real? How do I know? But Jesus said to us, to be pleasing to God, I want you to have childlike faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You've heard the phrase before, faith is going to the edge of all the light you have and then taking one more step. Have you heard that before? And think about it. God has given us a lot of light. He's given us a lot of light. He's given us ample evidence to believe the reality of creation, the miracle of the birth of a child, the mystery of the seed, the conviction of conscience, the historical resurrection of Jesus, the permanency of the church, answered prayer, fulfilled prophecy, transformed lives, the durability of the Bible. Now, all of those are evidences. Not proofs. 
but evidence, and you can examine the evidence, but there comes a time where you have to decide to take one more step. And it's not a leap of faith, it's a tiny step. I think Jesus would say a baby step. But it's that childlike faith, and it requires humility. A few verses later, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Tony Campolo is professor of sociology at Eastern College in Pennsylvania. He said, you know why I believe in the Bible? I believe in the Bible because I choose to believe in the Bible. Contrast that with comedian W.C. Fields. Years ago, he was deathly ill in the hospital. A friend came to visit him, and he was surprised to see Fields reading the Bible. He said, Fields, I didn't know you believed in the Bible. And W.C. Fields said this, I don't. I'm looking for loopholes. You can spend your whole life trying to prove or disprove the Bible. At some point, it just boils down to taking that step of faith and saying, I believe. I came across this story. It was about a young family who experienced a terrible tragedy. Their son Jacob drowned in the family swimming pool in the backyard. And the parents, as you can imagine, were, were devastated. I mean, to lose a child, to lose one like that. The next day, the five-year-old daughter said to her mother, Mommy, why are you crying? Jacob is in heaven. He's happy. You shouldn't be sad. Now, I know there's, in, in a sense, where even a five-year-old can't comprehend the, the agony of grief of a parent and the, the permanency of that loss that seems like it, it's forever. <clears throat> but at the same time, she's so trusting. Childlike faith that we can learn from. Susan St. Clair is a friend of the mother. When she got word of, of the tragedy, she woke up in the middle of the night and she would say, God gave her these words. And she wrote this. It was shared um, at the funeral. And it's written from the perspective of the son to the parents. Today when the sun sank from the skies, I couldn't help but close my eyes and in an instant opened wide to behold my Savior at my side. Welcome, Jacob, the Lord did say. I've waited years just for this day. I took his hand, me so bold, and with him walked those streets of gold. Mansions to the left and right, we stopped at one with gleaming light. Here's my house, the Lord did say. Let's go inside, walk this way. He led me to a room so neat, and all the angels fell to his feet. And he opened up a great big book and said to me, Come have a look. Mommy, Daddy, I can read. I read my name, I did indeed. And then I read your names too. What I'm telling you is true. Here's my throne, but the king looks sad. I've heard the prayers of your mom and dad. Their grief is deep, I can tell. I know their pain, I know it well. And then he told me some things. He told some things to me. Future stuff of things to be. He promised he would comfort you. Each morning he said his mercy is new. He promised he would bring you joy amidst the loss of your precious boy. Just as your sufferings now are great, so also comfort, he said, just wait. 
Then my house he showed to me. Oh, mommy, daddy, big as can be. He said, someday you'd be here too. So I'll stay right here and wait for you. And when I see you, I will say, mommy, daddy, come this way. Come see my room. Come see this place. Come see my Lord. Look at his face. Until that time, don't you fear. I'll be as good as gold. It's easy here. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You know, our baptistry is behind the wall and you go through the doors and up the steps and it's, it's usual after a baptism that the person who's baptized doesn't make their way back in here. If it's Sunday morning and we're on our way to class or sometimes we say the prayer and then they, they come out afterward. There was a little child who was taking it all in, watching the baptism. And before the parents could explain otherwise, he said he thought when they were going to be baptized they were going up there, they would get baptized, and then they would just keep going. And he was thinking about it. He was thinking about when it would be his turn, when he would be old enough, when he would get to go. Childlike faith. In a way, I think he got it. We say, oh, but he didn't. Maybe he's got it more than us. I'm going to sing a song to encourage you. Don't be old. Don't be cynical. Be like Jesus said here. Receive the kingdom of God like a little child. If we can help you in any way, why don't you come as we stand and sing to encourage